Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. For Every Day is Earth Day today, we are talking with Dr. Donald Friend, who is a distinguished professor of geography here at Minnesota State University and a Jefferson Science Fellow of the National Academy of Sciences. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Karen. It's nice to be here with you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always great to see you. You are a person who is really interested in climate change and has, we've talked with you before because you've been involved in some policy I have. I was able to work in Washington, D.C. for a year as part of a fellowship program. So I was at the Office of Global Climate Change for the United States Agency for International Development, helping countries around, well, helping our country help other countries around the world. How do they adapt to a changing climate? And you also have been doing this for a number of years. It's a Department of Geography colloquia. And this fall, you have a number of them. Was it like at least? There are 10 of them. 10? So... The colloquium at uh, in the Department of Geography at MSU, we've been in existence for over 100 years. Really? So this is a fun story. Miss DeFranza Swan was the geography instructor in the 1890s. Uh, you, Here, weren't, you didn't have her for a teacher, did you? I did not. I would love to have met her. <laughs> I'm not that old yet, I anyway. <laughs> Miss DeFranza Swan was the social studies and geography instructor at the Mankato Normal School uh, shortly after it opened and was there for nearly 30 years. And she started bringing in guest speakers. And we have in the University Archives the first guest speakers on record in the 1890s. So this guest speaker series has been going in geography since the 1890s. Have you looked back then to what were some of the topics of interest back at that time when it first began? Now that is a great question. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't do it. A a colleague of mine, a woman named Jan Monk, came here to research women geographers. Oh, sure. And she dug this stuff up and she said, Don, you've got me here for the colloquium. Did you know that DeFranza Swan was doing colloquia in the 1890s? I said, I had no idea it was that long. Wow, that's amazing. Now I'm curious. Thank you. Well, see, now you'll have to go look that up. But yeah. I have noticed you have really focused on climate change, sustainability, and all the things that I've been chatting about on this Everyday Earth Day program for the last couple of years, really important topics. So I wanted to talk with you about this because I think this is an opportunity for people who want to come in person to the campus to listen to these people who are experts in these different areas. So let's talk about some of the programs you have coming up and why you felt the need that we should look at these specific folks and what they are doing. Absolutely. Beginning this Friday, September the 15th, every Friday afternoon, except for October the 6th, uh, when we'll all be away, when I'll be away, and uh, and the Thursday that is Thanksgiving. From now to the end of the semester, we're going to have 10 speakers Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock, come to the geography department. We're in the basement of Armstrong Hall. And now it's on campus, but anybody's welcome absolutely the community is welcome these are public lectures we would love to have people mostly we're in a comfortable classroom we have one event this year where we'll be in ostrander auditorium that's november the 10th we're having a uh, an author who we can talk about in a moment in but these are for the public now our undergraduate students the seniors in geography they're required to come they have to come they take it for credit um and so i've got 
two and a half dozen of those in the room. And then we've got about a half dozen of our grad students. Most of our faculty come. So we've always got 35 people in the room, but it Seat 70. We'd love to have you come and come to hear any of these talks. So every Friday, 3 to 4.15 p.m. starting this Friday through December 1st, with a couple exceptions, and they can look that up, up online at? It will be, ooh, I wish I could say that easily, the College of Humanities and Social Science website. Okay. I just sent this around the campus yesterday. It seems to have lit the campus on fire. I'm so excited. Glad to be here with you. Uh, And they're supposed to be posting that later this week. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the the programs, and it may spark some of our listeners to say, hey, I want to go to that. And you're welcome to any of them, obviously. They're 3 to 4.15, and they're on campus in Armstrong Hall, room 15, with the exception of one, which... right. So let's talk about what's coming up this Friday. This Friday, we have, I am proud to say, one of my former advisees. She has a master's degree in environmental science here from MSU. But that was just a couple of years ago, say two decades ago. Okay. (laughs) And she's now vice president for a company called Denali. And they recycle organics, mostly uh, urban waste treatment. So what you flush down the toilet... Okay. And gets treated. Uh, a, a large portion of this is now treated further and sold as commercial fertilizer and other things. And so she works for the one of the large companies that does this. Is this the one that is called Melorganite that is in Milwaukee? Because Milwaukee has this whole system where they take their sewage and they do the same thing. They they break it down and it's used as lawn fertilizer called Melorganite, which I yeah. highly recommend, by the way. So is it similar to that? I uh, it would be similar. Oh, I'm okay. not familiar with Malorganite, but this is a company a, called Denali. So I'm guessing it sim- sounds similar. So yes. what does that exactly mean? Because I know they break it down on a molecular level. So people say, well, I'm not putting people poop on my lawn, but it's... There, there's people poop, there's cow poop, there's... You everything. Know, bovine poop, every, yeah, all this stuff. And also organic material from your garbage disposal, okay. uh, from composting organic compost programs if you grind it up enough treat it up treat it enough there are there's no more deleterious bacteria in there that are going to harm you sure and it makes perfect fertilizer and so this is what's used so this company does both the treating and then the reselling to to the agriculture industry now i should tell you a little about the speaker um, now, she's going to be chatting about the benefits of recycling organics for the environment, the climate, and the economy. These companies who do this, they're making money. She did the same kind of thing at the senior director level. Now, she's vice president for Denali, but she was a director for this at Walmart. Hmm. Do you all remember 10 years ago, Walmart changed their receipts from a two-foot-long thing with coupons and white space to about a four-inch long thing? You mean like CVS still does? Like C- Exactly. <laughs> okay, and they... They switched. No. Well, that was our speaker, Kate Worley. That made that happen. She made that happen. Oh, cool. And now tell her to talk to CVS. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah she'd love to. Yeah. She has made a career out of this, that reducing cool. the waste stream of large companies. And now she does this for Denali. She lives up in the Twin Cities, but she works nationwide. Okay. She's just wonderful. So we're so glad she's here this Friday. This Friday, three o'clock. Armstrong Hall 15, everyone's welcome. Great. That's yes. I love that. Uh, now coming up on the next Friday, September 22nd. We have a couple of our own students. The there's a con- I don't know if you all out there in Radio Land are familiar with geographic information systems. This is the computer mapping technology that's getting all of our geography students jobs. 
And there's a statewide consortium for this, people in state government, people in private industry, and they hold a conference every year, every fall. This year it's in Duluth. And two of our students are going to present some work there. It's a student competition. And so they are each, they get a short time. They only get 15 minutes to present. But they're going to present a dry run, so they're ready to go for the competition in October. So how does GIS benefit us? What does it exactly Oh, do? goodness. I mean, I know it's probably a big question, but just so, so the people understand yeah. kind of what, what is it used for? So it's used for almost everything. If you watch a crime show and you see the crime maps and a few sure. dots and then they, they make these relationships, well, that's one basic use. We can do crime mapping. But uh, industry, where is it going to put the next shopping mall? And when you put the next shopping mall, you need to know how many people live nearby, what is the tax base for the people living nearby, how far is it to a freeway on-ramp and off-ramp, what is the distance to the sewage lines, da, da, da. all these things can go into a geographic information system and can be visualized in a map. And so there are industry uses for this. Where do uh, pipeline companies, where do they, not only do they put the pipeline so it's safe for rivers and property boundaries, but as urban areas grow and expand, where do you put in the safety relief valves for the gas line? All these things, all applied in GIS. Boundaries for wetlands. Uh, counties use this for property line stuff. It's everywhere. You don't find a job advertising, we want a geographer, but you do find <laughs> right. a job, we want a, we want a land use analyst. We want a boundary expert. We want a civil engineering, to all on and on and on. We can go on. GIS jobs are hiding everywhere. Okay. Every police car, how do we know where they are? Every fire truck, every FedEx truck, because it has a GPS chip on it, just like in your smartphone. Well, where does that data go? We map it in GIS. That should be interesting. So that is the 22nd on September 29th, another Friday. It says, do we still need higher crop yields? We have an ag extension expert from the University of Kentucky uh, College of Agriculture, a man named Paul Vincelli. He's a friend of mine. And the world has always thought, you know, the Green Revolution, we need more crop yields, more crop yields. We've got to feed more, 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 more. On and on and on. Well, we're at a point, thinking for the entire globe, we grow enough food. But it turns out the sacrifice when we grow enough food is we sometimes don't have enough micronutrients, the tiny nutrients that you need. And the calories that we're able to grow now, they're becoming a little hollow. So because we're going for quantity over quality. quality. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. And so Dr. Vincelli is going to chat with us about that. Uh, and that's on September 20th. Now, he'll zoom in, um, but... He's a good speaker, so this will be fun to have him. Okay, October 13th is Expanding Understanding of Wood in River Corridors, Floodplain, Wood Dynamics, and Long-Term Data Sets. That's a long title. It's a long title. It's probably probably our most academic talk this semester. (laughs) So if you're into rivers, this is interesting. But when you get woody debris in rivers... It can clog up a river and make for a flood. Sure. It can change the water quality downstream for bringing in water to drink in your water supply. It can change the water quality for fish habitat. And this is becoming a bigger and bigger deal as we have more and more floods. 
So how much woody debris is in rivers and how do you manage this? Uh, Dr. Catherine Leninger from the U of Colorado has become an expert in this. She's highly recognized. And um, I've met her a few times. She's also a dynamic speaker. So this will be great fun, particularly for our students and anybody really interested in rivers. Sounds great. Let us know. October 2nd, Walking Backward into the Future, Loss and Hope in a cli- in a Changing Climate. Oh, this man, Ed, Ed Carr, he's a professor at, a, at Clark University in Massachusetts. And he's published recently in a book called Not Too Late. And this book is about there's hope in the face of climate change. So much climate change and environment is doom, doom, doom. It's, it's all bad. And he's saying, no, 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 it is hopeful. Oh, it good. is changing. How, do we, how can we help the change? What does society look like to address this? So, all right, if we're moving away from fossil fuels, how do we make it better with electric cars? How can this be improved? And he's going to be talking about that. I love it. I love his title, Walking Backward into the Future, Loss and Hope in a Changing Climate. I like to hear that hope. It's nice to hear that. So there's a movement afoot. uh, So we're excited to have him uh, visiting with us on October October 20th. October 27th, then, is applying. This sounds kind of academic. Applying remote sensing, geophysics, and archaeology in the investigation of indigenous heritage sites in Minnesota. Now, this is one of our own professors right here at MSU, Ron Shermer in in anthropology. And what he's, very academic title, what he's really going to talk about, for over 20 years, he has been doing research on the burial mounds around the state, but particularly out near Red Wing. And it used to just be, oh, I finally see a mound on the landscape. Let's go dig there. Okay. <laughs> well, it turns out we can use from outer space and from airplanes, we can do what's called remote sensing. We're viewing something for, at a distance rather than directly sure. touching it. Um, what can we learn from outer space, from airplanes to identify these places? And then you take ground penetrating radar and you learn while walking over the ground without disturbing it, what might be there? Are there skeletons there? Are there artifacts there? And then finally, 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 if necessary, maybe you dig. And he's been Uh doing this for 20 plus years, mostly or almost always with the, uh, the cooperation and support of Native American groups. And so he, He's a champion of Native Americans. He is supported. He works with them always, highly sensitive to this. And so he's going to talk about two decades worth of work that he's done. See, you make it sound more interesting because the title is a little off-putting because it is a little academic for some folks. So thank you for clarifying that. Yes. Uh, Coming up in November on a Friday is Aerial Photographic Intelligence in World War II Reconstructing Critical Scenes Using Modern Geospatial Techniques. This sounds like it'll be very visual. It's, it's going to be completely visual. This is our own Dr. Cindy Miller. Now, um, I, bittersweet, she's retiring at the end of this school year. So if you've ever wanted to hear Cindy Miller give a talk, now is the time. Bombing in World War II. Everybody's fascinated about this. There, every, every time there's construction somewhere in Europe, they dig up another unexploded bomb from World War One or World War Two. Well, it used to be you had to walk around the countryside and find a hole or a bomb crater and, oh, maybe it's there. Then it was air photos. And now 
yet again, new remote sensing methods. In particular, uh, so-called LIDAR. This is lasers. So a laser beam shining from an airplane or a drone or from outer space can detect a change in the vertical displacement of the ground by a centimeter. It's amazing what it they can do It is amazing now. what we can do. And we teach all this in geography. And so Dr. Miller is now using these cutting-edge methods uh, to help find bomb craters, old wow. bomb craters in Europe using LIDAR. So she's going to talk about taking it from old technology to up-to-the-moment technology, how we're doing this, how this has improved and changed. Now, the November 10th one is one I'm particularly excited about because it is by an author, Mr. Jake Biddle, and it's called Environmental Justice and Climate Migration in the USA. And he's an author, and I was sent the book because it's being a common read, isn't it? It Yes. The MSU this year is trying to resurrect the common read program, or a lot of people read this across the campus. And this year's book, I've forgotten the title of it, um, but it, but it's it's by Jake Grist. He's a staff writer, or excuse me, by Jake Biddle. Biddle. He's a staff writer for Grist, which is a respected online news outlet, mostly for climate and environment. And he's written a book about climate migration. It's amazing. I've I've started to yeah. read it, Don, and I recommend anybody read it. And I'm gonna have to look up the title too because I can't. So climate migrants, you know, there are people in Florida, just regular folks, hardworking folks like you and I who live in Florida. They can't afford to live there anymore as they're getting flooded out. And insurance companies are pulling out of Florida. You can't afford to do this. Well, where are these people going? They're, so many of them are coming to Minnesota. Have you noticed prices, uh, home prices in Duluth have gone through the roof? Well, who's moving to Duluth? People with money from the coasts because it's more climate They're losing proof. their homes, yeah. Yeah, they're losing their homes. They can't afford to live there. And so Jake Biddle is writing about this phenomena, climate migration in the United States. So we're very fortunate. We're doing this in partnership with the library. And I see you're holding this one at the Ostrander Auditorium because you probably expect a bigger crowd for this, is my that, guess. That is correct. November 10th. Yes, We're sponsoring this with the library because they're doing the common read. So the Geography Colloquium and Library and Learning are sponsoring together uh, for him to come and visit first with the librarians in the morning. Uh, He'll do their professional development hour uh, with them in the morning and then in the afternoon, this very public lecture in Ostrander Auditorium. You know what the cool thing is? What was they sent me a book for free? If yeah. you want to be a part of the common read, all of a sudden I just said, "Well, I'd I'd like a book," and they sent me one, and I thought, "Well, this is great," and yeah. so it'll be neat to hear the discussion on that. So yes, it looking will. forward to that. And then the next week on a Friday is November seventeenth. Why I write about the land. Minnesota's poet laureate. Yes, is a professor of English right here at MSU, Gwen Westerman, and as I said, she's the state poet laureate. And she does many things, but most of her writing is about the land, the tie of people and religion and spirit and philosophy to the land, how people are tied to the land. Farmers are tied to the land. You are tied to the home you live in. Native Americans, their entire history, soul, and being is tied to the land. And so this is what she writes about, particularly uh, from the perspective of the Native American community. She's Native American. Mm -hmm. So she's going to, this is actually the third time, I'm so privileged, very few people, usually I have one speaker to the colloquium and that's, that's it. And this year I'm honored that we'll have Cindy Miller for the second or third time, 
Ron Shermer, the anthropologist, second, third time, and Gwen Westerman, Minnesota's Poet Laureate. This will be her third time speaking in the colloquium over the 25 years I've run the colloquium. Awesome. That's great. That sounds like a really great one, too. And the last one out of the 10 in this colloquia is urbanization, a one health perspective. What does that mean? As our world has shifted from being agrarian to urban, a hundred years ago, 90% of our population in this country and around the world lived on the farm. They lived in the countryside and cities were big, but a lesser percentage. It's completely shifted now. 90% of the populace is in cities, a lesser percent is in the countryside. Well, it's getting harder and harder and harder to make a living in the countryside. Oh yeah. City, now it's here, cities are growing, right? But here when a city grows, they build some more apartment buildings, they put in some more sewers, on and on and on. In the developing world, people just leave the countryside and show up and they're now living in slums and shacks. Mm. And healthcare and health outcomes in the developing world have taken a nosedive. We are seeing disease transfer like we haven't seen in 75 years. Outbreaks of diseases we haven't seen in 75 years are now happening throughout the developing world. And this is what Dr. Gad Perry, he's a professor of uh, conservation biology from Texas Tech, this is what he is going to talk about, how healthcare outcomes in an urbanizing world are changing. This now, is a little scary, actually. I haven't heard of a conservation biologist, so what does that really mean? Is that a newer title? Because I don't recall anybody saying, I'm a conservation biologist, for it, example. Uh, there are lots of different biology backgrounds who come to this larger umbrella of biology called conservation. We want to conserve our environment. So think Earth Day in you know the 1970 and the 70s and 80s. Everybody was into conservation. Right. So conservation as a field is how do we keep a healthy environment? So nowadays you could get a degree in ecology. So a wildlife ecologist, wildland ecologist, they would say, oh yeah, I'm a conservation biologist. Oh, okay. A soil scientist, oh yeah, I'm a conservation, because I want to conserve our environment. So at the university where he is, at, at Texas Tech, they, they group around themes. So I think he's actually, he might actually be a background and training, a specialist in herpetology. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. you know, and he loves deserts and sure. lizards. But, and snakes. And snakes. <laughs> but, but very big picture how animals and biota relate to the broader environment. Okay. This is what he's taken on later in his career. And so health issues in urban environments. And he's a very learned guy. He has advised the U.S. Department of State for a number of years. Um, he and I served together in Washington, D.C. as Jefferson Science Fellows. Oh, wonderful. Very sharp guy. Well, Don, this looks like a great list of in this Department of Ge- Geography's colloquia. Very interesting, and I'm hoping to pull some of these as interviews to talk on this show, Every Day is Earth Day, because some of them are so relevant to this topic. So I hope we can work with you to, to make that happen. I would love to do that with you. And if we have to do them, you know, phone, Zoom, I'm happy to sit here oh. in the studio with you. We can Zoom somebody in and we can all be on the phone. I'd love to do that with you, Karen. Well, I hope you will get a great attendance at these because they are really bringing in some really top-notch speakers. 
Uh, this Friday, you can go to the first one, Benefits of Recycling Organics for the Environment, the Climate, and the Economy. And it will be 3 o'clock to 4.15 on campus, Armstrong Hall. For more information, give me a call. Uh, my phone number at my desk, 507-389-2618. I'll repeat that, 507 389 2618. And my email is easy to remember. It's just my last name, friend at mnsu.edu. Just friend at mnsu.edu. Let and, me know. I'll help you out. Get here. And Minnesota State University MNSU Geography Department. Absolutely. Check our website. Thanks, Don. It's always great to have you, and congratulations on setting up a great set of programs, and we look forward to hearing more. Karen, it's always a pleasure to, to come, and thanks so much for having me again. You are welcome. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner, member NCUA, more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.